0: All right, here we go on a Friday. Welcome in. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. Glad you are with us. We're going to talk about the big game. Yes, we are. Because at the end of the day, this is one of the few appointment television sports viewing experiences always. It doesn't matter your affiliation. It doesn't matter if your team's in it or not. You are watching this game. If you are a sports fan and you watch football and you're invested, you're going to watch this game. And really, those that aren't invested, because obviously there's external circumstances about this game as well, it's appointment viewing. And how how many times do we have that now? I'll tell you, for me, it comes down to really two situations. It's the NFL... And it is uh, the March Madness side of things. Now, there are college football games that I absolutely tune into. But I'm talking about appointment television that you would not miss a situation. And I would imagine that many of you are the exact same way. And it's why the NFL and football in general has become king because it is truly appointment television nearly all the time. And maybe we're finding out this day and age that less is more. That, you know, and look, the NBA and Major League Baseball and the other sports, they have series. So they have seven-game series, and you get to – it's almost like a chapter book. You have Chapter 1, Chapter 2, Chapter 3, Chapter 4, and you hope it goes to a Chapter 7. In the NFL – it's one and done. And maybe that's why March Madness is the way it is, and the Super Bowl is the way it is. It truly is. You better bring your best, or else you're going home. You better bring your best or you're gonna be runner up. You're gonna you better be your best, or you're not gonna get to the Elite Eight Final Four championship game. That is why this is such a big deal. I know it sounds pretty elementary, but for for years we loved series we loved the fact that hey let's get to a seventh game and seven game series are still a big deal but i don't think people care as much about games two three and four in a series as they used to i'm not saying it's right i'm saying there are few appointment television experiences in all of tv especially in sports and it comes down to football and March Madness, quite frankly. Because people want to see chaos. People want to see the fact that everything's on the line for that particular game. And those are the two sports where it happens. And maybe that's why soccer's becoming so wildly popular. Because when you get to the World Cup side of things, there's no series. You've got to win your games. You've got to perform well. Um, and, and one matchup can really decide things really isn't the case in baseball and basketball, but anyway, I get off my soapbox. We'll talk about that. Uh, Ball State Sports, a little bit of a rundown on that. Uh, George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin is going to stop by the program coming up here at 425. Give his thoughts on what's going on. Also, um, the news for the Colts, Dwight Freeney is a Hall of Famer. Now, I want to mention this, and I want to get George's thoughts on this because he he may have a better historical background on this. But Dwight Freeney was kind of the first of his kind. Dwight Freeney was undersized. He wasn't a guy that was going to run you over. He was a guy that was a true speed rusher that had an unstoppable move in that spin move. I mean, he made Jonathan Ogden, who is a first ballot Hall of Famer, look ridiculous time and time again when he faced Dwight Freeney. But the, did, did Dwight Freeney become the first of the smaller edge rushers? Now, he would have his hand in the ground a lot. So, you know, nowadays you see Micah Parsons, for example, uh, stand up as a linebacker. He'll put his hand in the ground, but he'll move around the formation. But the undersized dudes that beat an offensive tackle with speed, was Dwight Freeney kind of the first of his kind that way? Because for years you wanted 6'5", six, 6'6", six, six, you know, big defensive lineman type and a guy that could overpower an offensive lineman or use his leverage that way. And it feels like Dwight Freeney was kind of – on an island and maybe created some of the amoeba type of defenses where you move guys around the formation. Hey, is Micah Parsons going to line up on the left tackle, right tackle? You move move guys around to get different matchups you liked. I don't know if Dwight Freeney was the first. But he's certainly the first in Indianapolis Colts history, for sure. Um, He was truly elite for a very, very consistent amount of time. He's not going to go down as one of the best pass rushers in NFL history. Because towards the end of his career, it slowed down a little bit. But at his peak, he was as unstoppable as you'll find. So, good on him. Uh, good that he represents the Colts. Uh, Reggie Wayne did not get in. So, he, he has to wait a little bit of time. I think the accumulation of numbers for Reggie Wayne, sooner rather than later, he will be in the NFL, the, the Pro Football Hall of Fame. It's not the NFL Hall of Fame. It's the Pro Football Hall of Fame in Canton, Ohio. So, anyway, uh, we'll ask uh, George Bremer about that as well. So, I, I got to thinking about this, Okay about the game coming up Sunday and how these two teams have gotten here in very, very different ways. And I'm just so impressed and so marveled at uh, the way the Kansas City Chiefs have gotten here. And here's what here's what has bothered me, as you can tell over the last several weeks, is that even before they had a chance to prove themselves in the playoffs, and we all know the playoffs are a very different set of circumstances than uh, the regular season, you know, teams that look flashy and great. I mean, if you were to stop the season at week number six, the Miami Dolphins were unstoppable. They were the best team in the league. They were scoring 70 points. I mean, how could anybody stop them? Well, they looked pretty pedestrian in the playoffs, you know. Baltimore won a home game, then got to the AFC Championship game, but um, you know Kansas City played their style of game and got up early and held them off with great defense. You know Kansas City knows how to win at the right time, and it didn't matter it, 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 you found out pretty quickly that the regular season meant absolutely nothing to them as far as they you know they, they wanted to be their best at this point of the year but nobody gave them that opportunity to prove themselves. Everybody wrote them off. People had Miami upsetting the the, the the Chiefs in the wild card round, for goodness sake. And look where they're at. They went to Buffalo, the hottest team in the league, and they beat them. They went to Baltimore, a team that was a, a, a surefire AFC championship team, and they beat them. And now they're here, and now they might even be favored. People are catching up, and they catch up quickly. But the fact of the matter is there is no patience in the sports media. You got to bury them when you have the chance because it's a hot take or oriented deal and I'm not going to focus so much on that Kansas City is my pick by the way I've got Patrick Mahomes winning a, another Super Bowl MVP and it's going to be one of those high teens low 20s type of game because that's where the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs thrive and you know the fact of the matter is they may not have the best overall talent in this game but they have the best overall team uh, the best coach the best quarterback and they know how to win games. And here's what I love about this and and any organization can learn from this. So, at the end of the day, we're talking Super Bowl, but this can be adopted by just about any team out there. Emphasizing your best players and getting them the football in positions to be successful. So, what does Kansas City do very well? They're pretty darn good up front. They've got a really good quarterback, but where they're weak is they don't have the game breakers that they used to have. They don't have elite of elite wide receivers. And last year, they, they showed a little bit more balance. They had a little bit down the field threat. But this year, obviously, it's been short in intermediate routes. And I think the Kansas City Chiefs realized, hey, our two best players are Travis Kelsey and Rasheed Rice. Rice isn't going to burn you down the field. So let's emphasize and focus on those matchups and get them matchups that they can win. Travis Kelsey isn't a game breaker anymore, but, you know, death by uh, a thousand paper cuts, I guess, uh, which is a common phrase out there. You know, get him 10 balls. He caught 11 balls on 11 targets. Do you think that was by mistake? (laughs) <laughs> no, Andy Reid noticed, hey, why not get seven yards when you can have it? Put him in the middle of the defense, force the defense to make a decision because the first thing a defense is going to do is try to take away the deep ball. High completion percentage, seven, eight, nine-yard plays, and then you're going to have the over-the-top stuff. And this is what you know the, the, uh, the Kansas City Chiefs really struggled with in the season. They had Patrick Mahomes hold on to the football. So he'd make mistakes, he'd get sacked, he'd get pressured, and they forced him to kind of make plays, and they simplified the approach. Isn't that unbelievable? When you look at why Kansas City's here, they simplified who they are. Downhill running, high completion percentage, and moving the ball down the field, knowing they can trust their quarterback to make great decisions. Kansas City is way more simple offensively than they've been at any point this year. And oh, by the way, they've won two road playoff games to get to the Super Bowl. They've simplified it, which again, how how, how stupid does this sound? Oh, I don't know. How about you get the playmakers that are the best on your football team, the football I don't know about you, but I remember when the Colts were in that game against Houston in Week 17-18, had a chance to go to the playoffs, and they just put a lot of volume on Jonathan Taylor in the second half. Oh, I don't know. They led the football game. Shocker. Hey. Hey. Their best player touched the football time and time and time again. And oh, by the way, Gardner Minshew was completing passes over the middle, short and intermediate routes, and then it was about Jonathan Taylor busting a couple of of runs loose. I don't know. That doesn't sound very complex to me. We oftentimes talk about the scheme and the ingenuity of the offense. And, oh, my gosh, they did this little, like, you know, flip play. Hey, they did a flea flicker. Hey, you know, they did a a bubble screen. Oh, my gosh. Like, and at the end of the day, look, simple wins. Hey, you got great players on your team. How many times have we been talking about uh, the playmakers that you have on your team and how important that's been for the Indianapolis Colts? All I know is this. When the Colts were at their best in that football game in Week 18, that's a heartbreaker that still sits heavy for Colts fans. When were they at their best? They were at their best when Jonathan Taylor was touching the football. I don't think it's that hard. You know, I I don't think it's that hard. I fully understand you have to have balance. You can't run the football, you know, eight, nine, ten straight times in the NFL. We get that. But I, I, I don't know much. I've never schemed a football game. I've never called a football game as an offensive coordinator. But it seems to me the reason the Kansas City Chiefs are here is they simplified it. If you look at the San Francisco 49ers and how they got things done against Detroit in the comeback, who was their horse? Christian McCaffrey. Oh, I don't know. He's their best overall football player. Shocker. I mean, it's really, at the end of the day, not that hard. And, and I'm simplifying it too much by saying it the way we're saying it. I get that they've got Debo Samuel, George Kittle, Brandon Ayuk. I get all of that. And they had shots down the field, and Brock Purdy's played ver- very good football. But these two teams, I think better than everybody else, know they need to have the ball in the hands of their playmakers to make plays. Buffalo is not here. Because Stefan Diggs didn't touch the football. Okay? Detroit's not here because in the second half in winning time, they didn't put the football in their best players' hands. And they made negative plays at the wrong times. Baltimore. Lamar Jackson wanted to be a thrower rather than a playmaker late in those games. He had plenty of opportunities to kind of put his body on the line and make plays with his feet, you know, all the things that he didn't really want to do in the regular season to have himself ready for the postseason. But you know what? When you get to the postseason, all bets are off. Be a playmaker. You are the best playmaker on that football team. Go make plays. This isn't by mistake why these two teams are here. They have simplified their approaches in the playoffs. And you know what? I think it comes down to that. It's not just knowing how to win. It's being smart and putting yourself in a position to win by, oh, I don't know, in Kansas City, Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey. That connection seems pretty good. Isaiah Pacheco, get me three, four yards You know, every once in a while. And Rasheed Rice outside, emphasize those matchups. And whatever else happens down the field, great. Marquez Valdez-Scantling made a play down the field. That was late in the game. You're not targeting him to be one of your primary playmakers because Andy Reid understands how to win offensively. San Francisco, I don't know. Christian McCaffrey's pretty good. Might get him the football. That sounds pretty good. It's simplifying it. And so when you see this game on Sunday, remember that. They simplified their approaches. It is great to be balanced. It is great to have seven, eight wide receivers that touch the football. But at the end of the day, in winning time in this game on Sunday, you will see those matchups. And those are the guys that are going to make or break and win or lose these games. And that's why they're here. Anyway. That's what I got. (laughs) I got Kansas City winning the game. I do. Uh, I'm not going to bet against Patrick Mahomes. I just won't do it. Um, I said it way, 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 way back, even when they were struggling, until further notice. If Patrick Mahomes is in that football game, I can't look away from that. I said it back in, shoot, early December when everybody else was burying them. I'm not trying to do the whole, I told you so, but I did tell you so. (laughs) I mean, to be honest with you, I have mentioned that for the last two months. Through the struggles, through everything, everybody was pretty quick to judge. It's kind of interesting that they're there. They're here, and uh, they're all around it. But anyway, I- I'm fired up for the game on Sunday, as you can tell. It's going to be a lot of fun, a lot of fun. Thanks to those of you joining us on Facebook Live. Um I, you know at the beginning of the season, many probably could have predicted uh, this outcome this game and, and I get it. I mean it's it, and that that to a lot of people isn't exactly a great storyline but these this is a matchup that I, I think everybody is going to love to see uh, for obvious reasons because they have they have been over the last half decade I think the two teams that have been the most consistent, maybe not the two best, from a record standpoint, but the two most consistent franchises in their respective conference in the NFL. And we know the talent that San Francisco has. We know what Patrick Mahomes is for Kansas City. And I'm not going to get tired of this matchup, and neither should you, because there's a, a lot of good happening with it. So, anyway, uh, George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin. we're going to break this down coming up here in a little bit, I uh, get his thoughts also on the Dwight Franey Hall of Fame induction. We'll talk to George coming up here in about five minutes or so. Uh, Rob Fisher. Our analyst on High School Broadcast will stop by the program coming up a little bit later on. In between that, um, some big matchups for uh, the Ball State men's and women's basketball teams as uh, the men play Texas State tomorrow and the women have James Madison coming up on Sunday. Uh, We'll break down a couple of those matchups as well coming up here in a little bit. High School basketball tonight, Muncie Central and Harrison. Two teams at 7-11, and 11. and by the way, uh, there's only a couple weeks left in the regular season, and then we head to the tournament, and it's crazy that we, we are there, but I got to tell you, there's some teams that are playing some pretty good basketball. Uh, Yorktown, Delta, Wapahani, and Muncie Central's won their last two. You know, they had a win in the, earlier in the week against Pendleton Heights. Um, they beat Marion last week on Thursday in an interesting matchup there. And you got a, a weekend here with Harrison tonight, who's also 7-11. and 11. You have them at home. That could be three in a row. And then you got the battle tomorrow as a matinee against Anderson. We'll have that game on video only. You'll be able to see that link uh, coming up tomorrow if you want to watch that game uh, with our coverage starting at 2. Tonight, our coverage starts at 7.30. And uh, we're excited to bring you a couple of games from the North Walnut Street Fieldhouse this weekend. So a ton going on, as you can probably tell, and we'll break it all down for you. Uh, a little bit of football talk coming up, uh, and that is with uh, George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin. Lots of good stuff from him coming up. Stay with us on a Friday edition of The Power. It's the Talk of Muncie, the new WMUN. As always, presented by Walls Furniture and Mattress, Nebo Road in Muncie online at WallsFurniture.com. 90% of what's on the showroom for in stock for you, 48 hours or less. That's the Walls Furniture and Mattress difference on Nebo Road in Muncie and online at WallsFurniture.com. As we welcome in, as we do every Friday, George Bremer from the Herald Bulletin stops by the program today. Um... We'll talk about the big games certainly a lot in this conversation, George. But I want to start with Dwight Freeney, uh, inducted into the Hall of Famer Willby, um, one, uh, uh, one of the finalists here. Um, okay, so he, here's, here's what I'm curious about. He was drafted in 2002. Um, and, and, and when I remember Dwight Freeney, okay, drafted in 2002, 6 Back then, if I if, if I was not mistaken, it's kind of fitting that Julius Peppers is going in the same year because the size difference and the type of player they were as far as how they got it done, very, very different. Did Dwight Freddy kind of start the undersized speed rush type of impact because of how special he was?
1: Absolutely. I remember there being a whole lot of, I don't want to say controversy, but there was a lot of criticism at the time of the Colts for taking him even as high as they did at 11 because, you know, he's he's too small. He's not going to be holed up in the league. Uh, He's going to be hurt all the time. He's not going to be able to have the impact he had in college. And, uh, you know, obviously he put all those to rest almost immediately. He was a runner-up for Rookie of the Year his first year. Uh, So pretty much right out of the gate, you know, it it kind of stopped all of that. Uh, And it did really kind of usher in that era that we still see going today of, you know, I think even – even now, I mean, look—if you can get a freak like Julius Peppers, who can star for the basketball team at North Carolina, and be, you know, what it, six, seven, six, eight, right—and uh, be as athletic and quick and everything else he could do, then obviously you're going to go that route. But I think most teams right now will take speed over size on the edge because they've seen that that's what wins in the NFL. You know, if you can beat that guy off the edge. Uh, and get pressure on the quarterback consistently even in today's game that's probably the most critical thing you can do on defense and it really did start with freeney and robert mathis who came what the next year yeah. uh so you know they get those bookends like that and uh it really did kind of set the tone for that colt's defensive line and really the colts went all in on that with with bill Polian. they've they got smaller tackles too you know it was it was all about speed and quickness up front.
0: Yeah, and um, you mentioned Julius Peppers. And I think about this day and age, and there's uh, there's one of the guys this day and age that is a Julius Peppers type, and that's Nick Bosa, who's playing for the San Francisco 49ers. But you think about it, Max Crosby may fall into that, um, that, that category. Uh, certainly Miles Garrett does, um, and, and maybe Joey Bosa. But after those four, you, you see the guys like Khalil Mack, like Micah Parsons, that and, and Dwight was a guy that had his hand in the ground for most of the time. Now Parsons and Mack and some of the uh, amoeba hybrid uh, linebacker outside edge rusher type of deal, um, you know, there, there's way more of those now than there are the. Nick Bosa's, Miles Garrett's, Max Crosby's hand in the ground type of rushers, right?
1: Oh, absolutely. He lot three, four, and even Freeney did it for a year here in Indy. You know, did the, it wasn't quite to the extent that those guys do, but it was. He did play that technical outside linebacker position his last year here under Chuck Pagano. They were smart, kept the hand in the ground most of the time because that's obviously where his strength was but yeah i think there's a lot honestly i look at khalil Mack, and i think there's a lot of, of comparisons there with, with freeney uh was, he came out of buffalo and there are a lot of people saying well look you know he did it in the mac he's not going to be able to do it uh, at this level and it, it, a lot of the same criticisms when freeney came out and almost as immediately uh mac you know shut those down as well so i think there's a lot of comparison between those two um,
0: and, and, you know, there's always this debate about the Hall of Fame. It's George Berman from the Herald Bulletin covers the Colts about, you know, body of work compared to, you know, years you were elite. And I look at Dwight Freeney's, um, you know, history, 10 years with the Colts, and I, I would honestly say for at least seven of those, he was the – best pass rusher in the league body of work wise he's got enough sacks and those sorts of things but he did play um, all the way till 2017 when he split time with the Seahawks and Lions but for all intents and purposes he was on the 2016 um, uh, NFC champion Atlanta Falcons where he played a, a pretty big role there um, but you know he started to rack up some things later in the career but really is it focusing on the body of work or is it focusing on the fact that he had seven eight elite years where he was the best of the best and that maybe uh got him into the hall of fame
1: i think that's what made him a first ballot guy you know i think maybe if if he hadn't been so consistently right there like you said at the very top of the league for such a long time maybe would have had to wait a year or two i but you know about a guy who was a seven time pro bowler three time first team all pro led the league in sacks uh 20, 2004 i think and also, the Colts were such a high-profile team, and that does make a difference. You know, people will act like it doesn't, but when he was there in Indy, obviously with Peyton Manning and Robert Mathis, and you know all the superstars that, that are on that team. I mean, he's, Marvin Harrison's in the Hall of Fame from that group now. Tony Dungy and Bill Polian are Hall of Famers from that group. Peyton Manning's obviously in the Hall of Fame from that group. Edran James, Reggie Wayne will join them soon. Um, that that makes a difference because you're talking about a guy. He wasn't just playing at an elite level he's doing it late into the postseason year after year after year he was on everybody's minds he was not front and center you know playing on sunday night football all the time playing on monday night football all the time i honestly believe when it comes to the hall of fame vote those things matter because everybody no matter if you live you know here in, in anderson or if you were in california you saw plenty of, of dwight freeney during his career Okay, this is, a, this
0: is really interesting. And I didn't realize this, George. And and, and I'm sure you, you, you've taken a look at this, obviously, with uh, the news. But the year the Colts won the Super Bowl in 2006, Dwight Freeney played all 16 games in the regular season. And it doesn't have the postseason stats here. But funny enough, um, seven of the ten years he played, um, he had double-digit sacks with the Colts. In 2006... He had his second lowest sack total at five and a half in the year they won the Super Bowl, which is stunning, to be honest.
1: Yeah, it's crazy. I mean, there are some really weird uh, coincidences, or, or however you want to put it, from that year. I mean, to give up what three hundred twenty-five yards rushing in a loss at Jacksonville that right. year. Right. Uh, it's insane. You know, some things that happen, but that that's the NFL. It all just comes together sometimes, and, and you look back that, you think, there's no way. Indianapolis in that era was going to win a Super Bowl in a year where they didn't have a huge impact from Dwight Freeney, but that's how it turned out. Yeah,
0: that's... uh i mean and i was younger back then not you know paying attention to the stats and those sorts of it's it's kind of crazy to not think well you won a super bowl he must have had his most elite year um, that year but but anyway a uh, really good news there uh reggie wayne um i just think the accumulation of his numbers at some point is going to get him in but it takes wide receivers a very very long time um, you know, I, I I know Colts fans are very partial to Reggie, but if you look at Andre Johnson and Reggie Wayne next to one another and it feels like just one of those guys was going to get in, unfortunately, I think you got to put Andre in over Reggie. Do you agree?
1: He was the number one his whole career, and I think that's what makes a difference with him. You know, Reggie still – fair or not, he's still getting nicked for being the number two to Marvin Harrison for, what, about half his career? Right. And then playing with Peyton Manning, you know, people people hang that over his head a lot, and I'm like, he had a thousand-yard season with Curtis Painter, so let's <laughs> not just hold the, the Peyton Manning thing over his head, but, you know, I, I think Reggie will definitely. I mean, he's been a semifinalist now five times, and that anybody that, that's there year after year like that gets into it. We saw it with Edron James, we saw it with Marvin Harrison. It's a process, especially with the wide receivers, like you said. Even next year, it's going to be the same thing all over again with him and Torrey Holt. And Torrey Holt's right. been waiting, I think, even longer than, than Reggie has. So, you know, probably Torrey Holt's next in line as as they do these things. And then maybe the year after that, Reggie Wayne will finally get in. Adam Bencherry in the mix next year as well. I don't know if he'll be a first ballot guy, but I think he's another guy that from that group, that Super Bowl championship group, he's another guy. Eventually, I expect to to be in Canton. Yeah, I, I
0: think the two toughest. Well, I think there's three. Um, I think the the quarterback side of things is going to drastically change, and we're going to see a lot of you know, like I think Philip Rivers is a perfect example. Like, how long does he wait? We might see. It may not be like wide receivers because there's so many of them that put up great numbers but I bring up that 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 conversation running back has always been difficult uh we we know that but I think quarterback's going to get there but the wide receiver side of things um is it because of this day and age and what we're seeing wide receivers do and relative no names kind of put up thousand yard careers that it's so hard for the the legends like Reggie to kind of get in
1: that's part of it um you know there's there's Obviously, the passing game has exploded here in the last, what, 15, 20 years. Uh, And and there's just a glut. Like you said, there's a glut of of receivers. It feels like every year you add another Hall of Fame-worthy receiver to that group. And they very seldom put in two guys at one position. It happened this year with Peppers and Freeney, but you don't see it a lot. Uh, And so, you know, everybody's kind of – it's sort of like – The line at Starbucks, right? (laughs) Sort of where you are in the queue. And Andre Johnson kind of jumped the line a little bit. So that put backstory hole in in Reggie Wayne another year. But – yeah, you're just gonna have to wait. Quarterbacks will get there, I think. You're right. Running back's gonna be an interesting situation uh, because you know, it, it, on the opposite end, it's been devalued now, and so right. how will a guy like Frank Gore be viewed? You know, when he comes up because of the longevity of his career, stuff like that's gonna be really interesting to watch.
0: Yeah, and, and that's always the conversation. It's like, how many years were you a lead, and what what what's the balance between the overall production? Because if you just look at the numbers for Frank Gore, he should be a Hall of Famer, but um, th- there's a lot to consider there it's george bremer from the Herald bulletin with us um all right who you got sunday
1: and i'll tell you what that's going to be a war uh i've i've had to take the chief side uh in two different you know other media that i do uh, in our newspaper picks and in on our podcast because the other guy uh, in both cases was picking san francisco i can see it going either way I really feel like you know, 49ers, as we know, have probably the most complete roster in the NFL. I think Christian McCaffrey is a very unique weapon. I don't think there's anybody else in the league who can match what he does. Uh, but you never want to count out Patrick Mahomes, and I think we've learned that again this this postseason. Uh, you know, they've been an underdog the last two times out, won both games on the road. They're an underdog again. On Sunday, and there does seem to be a little bit of a chip on the Chiefs' shoulder. They feel like they're the defending champions. They've got two of the biggest stars in the game in Mahomes and Kelsey. They've got the second-ranked defense in the league, and yet they're being counted out. I, I think that might ultimately carry the day here, but I think it's going to be an outstanding game. and probably going to come down to whoever has the ball left.
0: I mentioned this, um, and we'll let you go on this, George. Uh, George, remember, from the Hill Bulletin with us. Um, both of these teams are elite it, are elite in different ways, but specifically offensively. In the second half versus Detroit, San Francisco really simplified their game plan. It's felt like the entire postseason run, it's been a si- simplifying nature of the Chiefs' offensive side of, uh, of things. You know, sometimes we we talk about all the nuances and all the different options, and when you have a great quarterback, you can do all these things. But is there something to be said with both of these runs? As talented as these two teams have been, they've simplified it, and as a result, they're playing their best football, as weird as that sounds?
1: We've seen a ton of that. You know, if you look at the playoffs this year, uh, that's been one of the keys, I think. You know, both these teams simplifying, and then just – having multiple ways to win a game i I think both teams you see if it's 13 to 10 they're comfortable they can find a way to win that game if it's 45 to 42 they're comfortable they can find a way to win that game and i think that's the most critical element you've got to have in the league if you can only win one way you're going to run into somebody who can take that away and it's going to end your season and i think both the chiefs and the 49ers have the ability to you know alter from week to week and and play do what needs to be done. They can both run the ball, they can both throw the ball, they can stop the run, they can stop the pass. You know they're not perfect teams, or, or they'd be undefeated, uh, but they can do everything pretty well. And I think that's that's what the Colts have to get to. You know you've got to be able to win multiple ways, and like you said, while doing that, having you know being complex enough to win in many different styles. You have to keep things simple enough that people can play fast and can execute when it matters. That sounds
0: so easy when we put it that way, right? (laughs)
1: Yeah, it's pretty easy on that. I don't know
0: why these. Are- <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness! Well, George, uh,
1: I, I
0: hate to say it, but enjoy the last football game for the next seven and a half months.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's gonna be uh, gonna be a long desert again without football. But we know one thing: we live in Indy, so there will be news.
0: There will be news, George. Enjoy it. We look forward to talking to you next week. Thanks a lot. Anytime, man. That's uh, George Bremer from the Harold Bulletin with us. All right, we'll step aside. A Ball State Sports Rundown when we return. Back at it on the show. Power Talk of Muncie. The new WMUN is always brought to you by State Farm Agent Jason May. Make sure you get all the discounts you deserve by calling Jason at 747 747- 7,100 today. Ball State men's basketball in action tomorrow afternoon as they head to uh, Texas State for a matchup at 5 p.m. This is the second part of the Mid-American Conference Sun Belt Challenge, and these matchups were determined based on um, uh, net ratings. So uh, a little break from Mid-American Conference play, and then Ball State men's basketball won't have a game until the following Saturday when they uh, have a road contest to get back into it on the 17th. That's why you know Tuesday was such a big uh, swing game, as we've mentioned several times, because you do have a little break of uh, Mid-American Conference play like that. Ball State women's basketball coming off their first conference loss of the season and uh, breaking their 14 game winning streak. Uh, They had the James or they have James Madison at home, excuse me, two o'clock at Worthen Arena. Again, uh, these matchups determined by the net ratings in the Mid-American Conference Sunbelt Challenge that is done on both the men's and women's side. Uh, So something to kind of keep in mind there. We got gymnastics in action. I believe that's tonight. Um, And then you have have uh, men's volleyball in action. I saw that uh, baseball will be in action a week from today. We're going to have a J- uh, a Rich Maloney on the program coming up on uh, Wednesday's show to preview the season ahead. Softball in their first matchup today. So it's all rolling. It's, it's kind of the hybrid of winter into spring, but that's what's going on on the Ball State front. When we come back. A conversation with Rob Fisher, who is our analyst on high school broadcasts, uh, Muncie Central versus Harrison. And I will get a rundown of what's going on in high school basketball after this. This is the Power Talk of Muncie WMUN. Final segment of the week. Glad you're with us. Power Talk of Muncie, the new WMU. And brought to you by Sheriff Gaston Roofing. You're visitor to protect your family. Make sure you're doing all you can to protect them. Sheriff Gosselin Roofing has been helping families for generations. Remember to call P. Doyle or look them up at WorryFreeRoof.com. If you didn't have an, uh, already have enough to tune in slash follow along with May we add some high school basketball to your mix? And it's getting down to the uh, last couple of weeks of the regular season. Rob Fisher with me, our analyst on High School Broadcast. Before we get to that, uh, who do you have on Sunday, my friend?
2: Well, I'm kind of with you. I am I, not going to pick against Patrick Mahomes, but I would be okay if the 49ers won just because I like the – the Brock Purdy story. I, yeah, I love good. that storyline that, um, that he can be Mr. Irrelevant and win a Super Bowl. So um, I kind of lean in towards San Francisco as far as hoping who wins, but I would not not pick against Mahomes. I'm with you there.
0: It's going to be interesting. It's going uh, yeah. to be a great matchup. Um, Okay, I had somebody ask me this the other day, and I know it's been a couple of weeks since we've really seen every single team, and maybe we'd have a better gauge on this next week. But um, who in the area is playing the best basketball right now uh,
2: from a high school standpoint? Wow, that's a good question. Um, I lean towards Delta a little bit, um, simply because um, they beat Newcastle last night. They beat Mississippi a few days prior. But they had two losses that weren't. I mean, if there's a such thing as a bad loss, they went to Mount Vernon, uh, on the road, lost by just two, and then played Greenfield Central a couple of days later at home and played them to a four-point game. You know, in a loss, and obviously Greenfield Central is what 18 and 0 now, or something like that. So I still think Delta's solid. I think Yorktown as well is playing well. Um, they've got their record over 500 now with that juggernaut of a schedule that that Matt Moulton set up for this year. And they've been playing the last handful of games without Jacob Grimm. Um, sprained his ankle in Newcastle. I think he's missed four games. And I think they expect him back tomorrow night with Jay County. I think that's what he told us the day that those kids were on your show. So I think those two are – but I'll tell you what the last two the last two nights that we've seen Muncie Central I and mean, these last two games, yeah, they are playing very well too. Uh, I was just very impressed with the Marion game and then to bounce right back Tuesday night and beat a good Pendleton team at home. Uh, the Bearcats are playing really well and shooting the ball really well.
0: Well, and at the end of the day, they could have a three-game winning streak tonight. This is a very very uh, advantageous matchup tonight um, yep. uh, against Harrison. Look, it's not it's not like you just show up and win tonight. They're seven and eleven just like you are, but this is an excellent opportunity for Muncie central
2: yeah i think um i looked at uh, harrison's schedule they won their first four first four games two of which were against lafayette jeff but since that point um they've gone four and eleven so um obviously a winnable game um they have one really good player um about a six, a six foot four junior that's a really nice-looking kid. and um, But I think if Muncie Central continues to do, especially defensively, um, continue to do what they've done over the last couple of games, they've got a great shot at winning this. And then they have Anderson tomorrow. Um,
0: so yeah. uh, quite, quite a doubleheader. And really, you're, you're playing about two games in, uh, what, about an 18-hour span, something along those lines. It's a quick turnaround tomorrow.
2: Yeah, no question, and you'd like to think it'd be somebody other than Anderson that you bounce back and play the next afternoon. But, but you you know again, uh, Muncie Central is playing well. I don't think Anderson's as even though their record is very good, um, I think they're 15, sixteen and four something, fifteen and four. Um, but I don't think they're as talented as they were last year. Um, so. They're on the home boards, and let's see what happens yeah. tomorrow afternoon.
0: Yeah, it uh, should be interesting. I do want to bring this up uh, as we continue uh, continue to track uh, the Isaac Andrews story. Um, he had a big week last week, uh, got one game uh, tonight um, and then two next weekend. So there's four regular season games left. He's within striking distance to capture uh, the record in the regular season, Rob
2: correct you've got he's 101 away so i think you'd have to average about twenty six, twenty five, twenty six 25 26 over the next four to pray to break it on that last home and what that would be a home game the last game of the season was shenandoah um of course i'm hoping that he goes off these next two games and then <laughs> we'll have him against your town in that third game and right and maybe he will have a shot out of that night it'd be really something to experience
0: yeah, it'll be very, very interesting. And uh, so you know, and I'll just say this as a preview, uh, we always say our schedule is subject to change. And I would imagine there if, if, uh, if, if there was a closeness there, uh, that would uh, fall into our schedules are subject to change. So,
2: yeah, <laughs> so and that again, I'll repeat, that would be something to really experience. That would be a, a great night to be there.
0: No question. No question. It is Jared Boomer, Rob Fisher on the call tonight at muncie Central. Harrison and muncie Central. The tip time, eight o'clock, so about a half hour later than normal. 7 30 is our coverage right here on radio and of course live streaming on the Wolf Boom page on IHSA TV.org. Rob, have a great weekend. We'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Mark. See you next week. That's uh Rob Fisher with us. Outstanding work from him, as always, on the program. So uh, we got the big game coming up Sunday. Ball State women's basketball Sunday at two. Ball State men's basketball tomorrow at five o'clock. Uh, by the way, Pacers uh, ran into a buzzsaw from Steph Curry last night. Uh, and uh, yeah, we have a lot to recap on Monday's show. So a big thanks to George Bremer, big thanks to Rob Fisher, and all of you for stopping by this week. We're back with you better than ever. Monday at 4. Talk to you then. Looking for a-